Listener Production. Chrissy Swan has spent almost 20 years being stared at down the barrel of paparazzi cameras. In that time, the radio and television host, reality star and household name has become thoroughly baffled by the interest in her self-described boring life. To me, Chrissy Swan is anything but boring. She began her public life as a Big Brother contestant who entered the competition for a bit of fun, expecting to last two weeks, not to spend 86 days in a house full of cameras. It's time to go! Chrissy! You have 20 seconds. Since then, she's brought her good humour, warmth and generosity to breakfast radio, to television panel shows, a diverse range of hosting gigs and, most recently, filling in for Carrie Bickmore as host of The Project. In this interview, I was introduced to a different side of Chrissy Swan, the side that perhaps the public doesn't get to see. Not because Chrissy hides her true self, but because the media seems so intent on imposing a narrative on Chrissy's life. A narrative she rarely gets a say in, and a narrative that only occasionally resembles the truth. My name is Jamila Risby, and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Coming up next is The Weekend List, where we recommend what to watch, see, do, eat, and listen to this weekend. But first, here is my conversation with the delightful and the fascinating Chrissy Swan. Chrissy Swan, welcome to the weekend briefing. It's so lovely to see you. It's so lovely to see you. I can't believe our paths haven't crossed before now. It's ridiculous. And you've come straight from being acupunctured. I have. You know, with COVID and everything, my Chinese amazing myotherapist hasn't been working for two years and I haven't been able to get in because everyone had the same ideas that I did. But I got a last minute appointment just this morning. So I feel good. Tell me about you as a kid. Were you were you that kid who was the funny one where everyone said, oh, you should be on TV or you should be on radio one day? I don't think anybody ever took it that far to say that I should be on um, radio or TV because, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, nobody got to do that fun stuff. You know, it was just out of the realm of possibility for a little suburban yeah. girl. Um, But my grandmother did call me circus because I was a circus all on my own and um, all of my, I mean, you you never know what you're like as a child. You've got to rely on the memories of other people that knew you. But all my sister's friends, I've got two much older sisters, 10 and 7 or 8 years older than me. Yeah, right. Yeah, all their friends said that I was a, yeah, funny entertaining child. So I'll have to take their word for it. I was just doing me. You've also got a bunch of kids. Do you think the birth order thing means that the youngest child is a bit of a attention-seeking clown type? Does that hold true for your family? I love all stuff like that. And I think it definitely applies in my family, my family of origin. But my three kids are fairly cool customers and yeah. I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, but they've never, ever had to fight for my attention. I have given them all my attention all my life so and all their lives. I don't really have a show-off or, you know, someone who's 
juggling to just so that mummy will look at them. I think I've probably given them too much attention, <laughs> which is good, which is good because, you know, they, they are their authentic selves, I think, so far. Did you always want to be a parent? No, I didn't. No. Um, I've always loved kids, um, not, not so much little babies, but I've always really loved talking to children yes. and hanging out with kids. I agree. Babies are boring. The baby side of parenting appealed to me because I really like responsibility and I like pets. And <laughs> I always, as soon as I had Leo, who's now 13, can you believe? Wow. I just remember, you know, being up all night with him and holding him and never putting him down and thinking, oh, right, so a baby is like the best pet you could ever have. They're kittens for so long, whereas kittens you only get for a few weeks and then all of a That's sudden true. their cats are gone, whereas babies, you know, need you and require your attention for so long and that appealed to, to that side of me. But I really like the part of parenting when the kids get a bit older and they get to show who they are to you every every day because I think that was the biggest mystery of parenting for me is that before you have kids you think that you're going to know who they are. Yeah. You know, they're from you and from your partner. So, you know, your partner, you know yourself. Of course they're going to be a, an amalgamation of, you know, your character traits and you'll be able to recognise every part of them. But the truth is that they are their own person and every day you get to discover who they are and I think that's the best part of parenting. I um, was having this conversation with my six-year-old yesterday about what grown-ups in his life do for a living mm. just to kind of see if he got it. Yeah. And I said, what does daddy do? Not what's the name of his job, but what's his Yeah, job? what does he actually do? Like what does he do, do yeah. every day? And uh, my husband's a lawyer and um, Ruffy says, oh, he sends uh, bad doctors to jail forever. And I was like, <laughs> that's actually pretty good. I mean, that's kind of what you do in medical malpractice. Like you, you're getting those doctors in trouble, not necessarily sending them to jail, but you're getting them in trouble. And I said, you know, what do I do? And he said, oh, mummy, you have a lot of meetings. You have lots and lots of meetings. That's great. I'm going to ask my kids. That's a great question. That's what I want to know. When did your kids, because they must, they're old enough that they must have some good awareness now that a lot of people know who you are, right? Mm. That yours is not a private job. Yours is a very public job. Yeah, it is. But equally, I have been absolutely consumed and obsessed with making sure that my job and my profile and that part of my life doesn't define their life and I really don't think they understand a huge amount or care what I do. They know that people listen to me on the radio. They know that I'm on the radio but I've always said to them, I, I just really want you to understand that celebrity means nothing. It, it means absolutely nothing. You can't be impressed by that. That's just a side effect of, you know, what I do for a living and they don't really care. They don't watch me on television really. Um, when I take a new job, I frame it as it's a challenge that I want to do. Would they be okay with it? Because every job, and I think, I mean, I can only speak for, for mothers because I am a mother. I feel like when the mum's out of the house, 
it's got to be an agreement with the kids because I feel like deep in their little souls, they just want me to be at home waiting for them to come home. And when yeah, I'm, yeah, they probably you know, do. they just really do. And I was the same as a kid. I, I understood that my mum had to work, but I think there was always that longing for knowing that mum was just waiting at home until I got home. And that's not possible in, in these days. So whenever I do get a new job, I table it with them. And for a long time, I didn't do anything but the radio. And then last year, uh, Celebrity MasterChef came up and I thought, I really want to do that. I just, yeah. it sounds like fun. And, you know, I'm ready to be on television again because that's its whole other beast. And so I floated it with them and I told them what it would mean that I would be, you know, I'd have very long days and, but they would get to see me having fun on television. That might be fun. They'd never really seen me on television before. And we all agreed that I would give it a go. Mm, it was great. It was good fun. Tell me about being ready to go on television again. Because I imagine that's phrasing that would surprise a lot of your fans. Because you are you are a public person. You've done so much in radio, so much in TV. You know, I can sit here and list all these achievements and places where people have got to enjoy watching you. Mm. But it sounds like TV comes with a an added pressure or an added weight that perhaps isn't there for radio? I don't know. I've never spoken to anybody else in the biz about it, but for me personally, I've found that my day-to-day life is not easier but draws a lot less attention when I'm just doing radio in one city. So once something goes national, particularly television, there just seems to be a lot more noise and a lot more attention and I'm not mad on attention. The first thing I said to my manager when I signed with her is what you need to understand about me is that if I never appear in another magazine or article again, it will be too soon. I just really love my job and I love working. And I love radio and I'm loving television, but that is separate to the celebrity element and I'm not comfortable with that and it's just something I have to deal with, I think. And there is a huge part of me that, you know, the reason I didn't do television for six or seven years was was that reason. And now that I am doing television again, because I love it so much, I just enjoy it. It's so much fun. There's been plenty of days in the last sort of, you know, six to nine months that I've just thought I'm never doing another television show again. I just can't stand the attention and the column centimetres talking about me and stories and narratives that I can't control and untrue things that have been said about me and that doesn't seem to happen when I'm just in Melbourne waking up early doing my radio show. But then I think I can't deny myself this intense enjoyment and fun and satisfaction and meeting amazing people and learning about, you know, the whole industry, I can't deny myself that just because of stuff I can't control. So that's a constant 
battle. That's a messy equation. It is Those a bit. two things on either side. Yeah. This is a complex question for you to answer, but why do you think that media attention is so stark when it comes to you? Because, you know, the, the Daily Mail and paparazzi are following a whole bunch of people around, but you are someone who, you know, I imagine is fetching a lot of money for photographs of Chrissy Swan, right? And that shapes your life and impacts your life, especially if you're quite a private person, which is what I'm sort of sensing. Yeah, I am a very private person. And um, Jamila, I don't know. I don't know why. Yeah. You know, if I really thought about it, I think the answer would be so unfair and so enraging that I almost don't want to know. I actually did ask a paparazzi because I'm followed all the time. That must be scary, mate. It is scary. That must feel really intense. It is scary because I'm a woman born in 1973. I mean, I'm terrified of being followed by men. And every day, whether or not they've decided on that day to follow me, I'm on edge. I'm looking for them. And often I don't see them until the photographs are published. I'm hyper alert all the time. My life is so dull. (laughs) But isn't isn't that true for all of us? Most of us, our everyday life is dull. Of course. And so the photographs are the same every time. It's me going for a walk or me doing the fruit and veg shop. And the other day I was walking back to the car from doing the fruit and veg shop and I saw two photographers and I just said, can I just ask you why is this interesting? I don't understand it. What did they say? He said, oh, you know, your transformation is inspiring. And I said, you really need to think about what you're saying and your part in a narrative that along with the accompanying articles have made women hate themselves and hate their Mm. bodies since time in memoriam. Yeah. I feel very strongly that I'm not going to be part of that narrative. It has shaped my relationship with my body my whole life and I'm not entering into it. I limit comments on my, people think they're being kind. I don't care if you think I look good. I don't care if you think I look bad. I don't care what you think. And I know that people think that they are being complimentary or derogatory or whatever they're thinking to achieve. I don't care to hear it. So if I post a photograph on Instagram and I might look a certain way and I see that the flavour of the comments are all based on my appearance, I'll limit the comments because they don't make me feel good. They don't make me feel bad. I just feel nothing. I don't care what people think. I just know that there are going to be women that are not in the mental place that I'm at now. You know, maybe they're where I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or five years ago and reading those comments and seeing those images are not going to be good for them because I've been there and the last thing I want is to add to that 
incredibly damaging cycle of comparison and hating yourself. Yeah. I don't, I'm not interested. I'm trying to put myself in, in your shoes, I suppose, that you're someone who doesn't w- want to project a view that thinness equates to happiness. Absolutely not. And I've never said that. Imposing that on you. That's not you making that choice. That's others making that choice for you. That's right. It's very simple, frustrating things. And because I am hyper vigilant about it, I know that when I say something, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking of how it can be misconstrued. So, Mm. you know, a few months ago, uh, maybe six months ago, I was doing a guest spot on the project and there was a story, you know, just by coincidence about not drinking. And I was there with Lisa Wilkinson and Waleed and I'm very comfortable with them. And I sort of said in the meeting, I have given up drinking. I gave up drinking nine months ago and it's been really good for me. So I said, I've just got to work out whether or not I'm happy you say one thing and then all of a sudden you're the poster girl for that thing. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I I gave it a go and it works for me. And anyway, so I ended up saying that on air and and very carefully said, I drank too much in lockdown. It wasn't very good for my mental health. My anxiety was through the roof. So I thought I would give it up and it's been a, a great decision for me. Those are the exact words that I said. Now, Every two or three days, there is an article that says Chrissy attributes her body transformation to giving up drinking. Now, I never, oh. ever said that. I never said that. Yeah. I've never talked about my body. I won't be talking about my body. This is just something I'm in, which facilitates all the joy and the activity and the parenting and the working that, that I, I want to do. My body is utterly irrelevant. So it doesn't matter what you say or what you do that narrative around women's bodies is so pervasive that, you know, it can be utterly co-opted against your wishes and then yeah. people, people think that that's what you're saying and, and yeah. I haven't been saying it and I feel very strongly against saying it. That is filling me with rage Yeah, <laughs> that, that a, a media narrative can be placed over the top of your life Yeah, that is counter, you know, directly counter to your yeah. own belief system. Yeah. And that's why I like, like I don't, I don't go, I don't, I don't do Twitter, I don't do Facebook, but I do do Instagram and I find that that's where I can authentically represent myself because, it. I mean, look, the temptation to disappear from sight is huge. You know, there's been days where I where I just find a quiet spot and I dream of not working in the media and not having to manage that and not having to constantly feel how, for some reason, you know, I can make people feel good or bad. It's just, yeah. it, it's awful. And because I just want people to feel good. <laughs> I just want to make people happy. That is very much your, you know, I don't want to say your brand, but that's your modus operandi in in the media, you know, and I think about you and the kind of shows you're involved in, whether it's radio or TV, they are joy-bringing shows, you know, they're not sort of politically fraught or Mm. angry. They are the kind of content 
I put on when I want to smile for half an hour. Yeah, and that's important to me. I like that. So when, you know, there's kind of a, a tandem narrative that is not authentic to me, that's, that's hard to deal with. But you just got to keep on, you've got to stay in your lane, look after yourself. You know, this is my 19th or 20th year of people knowing who I am. And yeah. I've really only just worked it out in the last two years, to be honest. You know, and my mantra is some things aren't for sale. I like that. Whereas when you when you first become a celebrity, there's that feeling of unworthiness and you've just got to give it all, give it all, yeah. give it all, give it all. And that will send you crazy. Like it, it, it absolutely will send you crazy. And the feeling of being exposed and known and and all that sort of stuff it's some yeah some some things aren't for sale and that's okay and there's that whole kind of warped idea that oh well that's the price you pay for being famous is it yeah and why does it have to be why does it have to be it doesn't have to be make the decision to take on a new project and I didn't mean that as a pun because you are doing some hosting of the project at the moment. I am. How do you weigh up in your head taking a step into something that you perhaps haven't done before? Well the the whole kind of doing stuff that scares me has become uh, a bit of a mantra and, and a buzz because I get endorphins from exercise. I don't drink I mean, I'm very dull. And, You're a um, total rock star. I'm in bed by 8 p.m. and I don't have a personal assistant. Like it's a very normal life that I live and but I am a natural risk taker and I've always been attracted to excitement and danger and that, that's just my personality. And so I sort of am finding that career-wise, because I'm going to be 50 next year, and I find that if my intuition sparks at, at an offer of something or at an opportunity, there's no amount of rational talking that I can t- do to that intuition to, to stop me from doing it. So when the project came up, I thought, oh, my God, that's really sounds really hard and serious and I haven't really done anything like that before and Waleed's so smart and can I do it? And once I ask that question, I can't live with myself unless I can answer it. And the the answer, you know, if the answer is no, you can't, that's fine too. When I was talking to the EP of the show, I said, look, if I suck at this in two or three weeks or the viewers are like, get this idiot off television, I'm totally fine to just go, but I'll happily give it a shot and I'll give it my all and I'll take it very seriously. So that's kind of what I'm doing and I'm challenging myself in in those ways. I feel like it's building every time I challenge myself in different ways, it sort of like builds a little annex onto my personality and I feel proud of myself, which is something that I haven't felt for a long time. So it's a, it's a good feeling. 
is it fair to say you're quite a curious person? I'm very curious, yes. Yeah, that you're like, well, let's see what happens if I do this. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. My curiosity is insatiable. A couple of times in the last half hour or so that we've been chatting, you've talked about the last two years, the last nine months, the last six months. Mm. It feels to me that you've figured some things out maybe about who you are over the last little while. Absolutely. What's the most important thing you've figured out? I've remembered who I am. It had to happen and I'm so glad it did, but it took a lot of work and a lot of honesty, a lot of honesty to myself and those around me. I can only speak for myself, but what happened to me, and maybe this will sound familiar to other people, is, you know, I got to my mid-30s and started having kids, you know, coupled up with, you know, my partner and Chrissy ceased to exist, completely ceased to exist. And in her place was mother and a partner and a worker and a breadwinner and a provider and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think I made the mistake of thinking that that was a natural progression, that Chrissy was that person till there and then now that I've got kids I'm a completely different person. That wasn't true. And the less I honoured who I was, the further away I got from my honest, authentic self, and eventually you can't live like that. Yeah. I felt like there was a real me somewhere else and then this person was pretending that everything was great and I'd bought into the whole women of a certain age have got to couple up and have kids and get the beautiful house and all of that. And I I did all that and I was like, well, I feel sad. I feel sad and I've done everything that I'm supposed to have done and this is supposed to be the pot of gold, you know. I've arrived. I've followed the template, right? This is the template of what makes you happy. Absolutely. That society told me my whole life that would make me happy and um, I just felt sad, I think, and, you know, I started to do stuff to kind of bury those feelings because they're scary feelings to have achieved everything that society has told you that you should achieve. Plus I was famous, which for a long time, you know, that no one gets to be famous. Surely that's like a bonus round. If you could be famous as well as have beautiful children and a lovely relationship and a lovely house and surely that's enough. I just felt sad because I had spent 10 or 14 or 15 years not doing anything that I really wanted to do. I was doing everything for everybody else and nothing for myself. So I um, started doing things for myself, which they were very, very simple things. It doesn't have to be huge, enormous things. They're very small things. Like I started going to bed at 8 p.m. because I was tired and when you're tired, You hate everyone and everything. It's true. It's that simple. And I started, you know, going for walks, nothing to do with my body, A, so that I could be alone because it's very important for me to be on my own sometimes because 
I've got a lot on and I work out all my problems, but I met someone and then I had a baby straight away and then I was never alone again. And it nearly sent me crazy. And, you know, as Elle Woods taught us, when you walk, you get endorphins and endorphins make you happy. Well, it turns out that that is true. And also it just kicked, the, the walking thing has really rewired my brain because A, I'm alone, that's important. B, I'm moving forward. So there's this lovely feeling of mm. momentum and even that motion is, I think, a very healthy thing to be moving forward. You get it also yeah. when you're driving. Sometimes I'll just drive and, I don't know, it just feels good. Um, thirdly, when I'm walking it's a form of meditation because of the length of time and the methodical steps. And fourthly, you do get the endorphins eventually. <laughs> it takes a while, but that's why I walk. And, and the other thing about the walking is, you know, I feel guilt because, you know, women see me walking and it is an enormous privilege to be able to walk because a, I'm able to, and B, I have the time to. I almost don't want to talk about it anymore because of the making people feel bad thing. So many women with small children and full-time jobs are looking at me going, I wish I had two hours a day to walk. I agree. I was that woman for the last 15 years. I had not one spare second. But then what happens is the youngest turns eight and they don't need you as much anymore to pat their bottom or whatever, and suddenly you find that you have got a little bit of extra time. But literally any time before now or those two years ago, I, I, do, I didn't have the time. We don't have time. We're so busy. It's yeah. so detrimental to our mental health, how busy we are, and there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing. I get the sense that you feel a lot of responsibility for how people feel when they look at you. I do, yeah. I feel like that's their responsibility, not yours. I just feel very strongly that I don't want anyone to leave an interaction with me, whether it's personally or anonymously, and feel bad about themselves. Yeah. I hate that feeling. And I know that there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do to control that. I've just got to do what I'm doing. But I don't ever want to be seen as a show-off or, you know, it's hard. Well, I think even if it's not possible, the intention shows, maybe it reveals a very deep kindness. And you've been incredibly generous in this conversation today, Chrissy. So thank you so much for Thanks. being I'm, I feel guest. very comfortable with you. I just can't wait to see how this will all be transcribed. Into If you're listening, Daily Mail, I'll come after you. I mean, you can't control it. That's the thing. And I'm just one woman. You know, I can't control the deeply entrenched misogyny of, of the press. I can't. I can't. All I can say is go to my Instagram and see how I really live and I'm doing my best. Well, I find it, uh, for one, incredibly inspiring watching someone who is taking steps to make their life as happy as they can, even when those steps are difficult. That's no mean feat. You know, I just think life gets on top of you. Life gets on top of you and sometimes it's got to kind of explode a bit for you to go, let's remember who we are. Let's remember what makes us happy and 
I think the takeaway for me was that it's really not very big things. It's sleep and movement and conversation and connection. And I really had didn't have any of that for a long time. And so when I make that a priority, I, I break my, I've got 16 hours a day and that's all I concentrate on. And if I can pack in everything I need, one little fun size bar into that show bag, then that's it. And then I go to bed and then I start again with another 16 hours. It works. Chrissy, thank you so much. A pleasure. That's it for my conversation with Chrissy Swan, an incredibly candid and honest interview for which I am very, very grateful. Don't go away, folks, because Bron's jumping into the chair for the weekend list. Bron is here. It is weekend list time and we are going to recommend a few things for you to do this weekend, whether it's something to watch, something to listen to, something to shop for, something to eat. What have you got, Bron? So I watched a documentary last night. I'm a little bit late to the party. It came out last year. It's on Amazon. Um, It's called Farmer Bro. So it's a documentary profiling Martin Screlly, who was a pharmaceutical tycoon from New York. He raised the price of a life-saving AIDS drug over 5,000% overnight. So he made a life-saving pill go from $13 to $750, which is like unbelievably bad. He was dubbed the most hated man in America. People were so unhappy with the price gouging. Hillary Clinton was getting involved. It's interesting because it's not illegal what he did. It was completely legal. Obviously, he was a massive jerk about it. He was going on shows just being real douchey. Big pharmaceutical companies are doing this all the time. He was just very loud and proud about what he was doing. He also bought the sole copy of a Wu-Tang Clan album, which sold for $2 million. Then he had random beef with Ghostface Killer from Wu-Tang Clan. They get into that. I don't know. It's so interesting. He knew what he was doing was not illegal because we don't have any laws in our country to stop it. Patients with HIV, pregnant women, people with cancer, to take a drug and make it inaccessible to them seems like the height of all evil. $30,000 for one man? I wonder if you would do anything differently. I probably would have raised the price higher. That sounds completely wild, but also very, very watchable. I have got a watch recommendation that is very much on the other end of whatever spectrum it could possibly be from your recommendation. It is the 25th. This is going to make you feel old, folks. It is the 25th anniversary of the movie The Castle being released, which you know, it has to be one of the great Australian films of all time. I sat down with both my parents, my parents-in-law and my son when we were on holidays over Easter to re-watch this one. Dale, I reckon we're the luckiest family in the world. Yeah, he loved the serenity of the place. How's the serenity? And it holds up. There are a couple of cringy moments. Tell him he's dreaming. But this film absolutely has stood the test of time. It is so warm and so funny. And yes, I can still quote every single joke from start to finish. It took me down a total rabbit hole of uh, television that are made by the same group of people. So I really enjoyed the sort of the Rob Stitch, the Jane Kennedy kind of crew. I then went and watched The Dish. We went back and watched Frontline. We watched a little bit of Hollow Man. Uh, Now I'm pushing through into Utopia. There is just so much good stuff to immerse yourself in. But I really recommend if you want a nice, cosy, 
fun-loving night in, watch the castle. He has even approached the appellant with an offer of compensation. A generous offer, considering the nature of the uh, dwelling, or as it might more accurately be called, eyesore. What are you calling an eyesore, Daryl? It's called a home, you dickhead. Oh, what a throwback. My next one is over the weekend, and there's another long weekend coming up now, is just head off to your local farmer's market. There's the most amazing bread, pastries. I was digging into some Portuguese tarts last weekend. You find like little nuggets of gold. Not every market is created the same. I will say that. So maybe do some research about what's going on in your local area. Maybe do a little drive out, you know, why not? You can go see another part of town. But yeah, lots of fun to be had at a farmer's market. Uh, That is the most wholesome recommendation we have ever had on this show. And I am going to contrast it with a not so wholesome recommendation. You're going to have to bear with me for this one folks. Uh, But this week was the first leaders debate of the federal election campaign. I know you're already asleep, you're already asleep. And it was on Sky, which is obviously a paid channel and not one everybody has, which brought me all sorts of frustration because it meant that most people probably didn't get to watch it. And actually the debate was probably the best thing I've seen happen during this campaign so far. The questions which came from members of the public were really smart and well-informed and they were on policy. They weren't the kind of gotcha, angry kind of stuff, right? They asked about housing affordability and they asked about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. There was someone who asked about renewables and battery technology. There was someone who talked about why he'd been left out of the JobKeeper offering during the pandemic. There was questions about um, the health of Australian democracy, the National Integrity Commission, uh, all sorts of stuff that actually affects people's lives and that we should care about. It's the first real focus on policy that I've seen. Both Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese were reasonably respectful of one another. There were obviously some moments where um, they didn't necessarily cover themselves in glory. There's a lot to critique there. But if you were trying to figure out how you're going to vote, I think it's actually a good place to start. You should be able to find it online. I know news.com had it during the week. You don't have to watch the whole thing, but I reckon if you are struggling to figure out who you want to vote for, uh, it's a really good way to get a grip on what the major parties are offering. That's it for the weekend briefing for today. Thank you so much for being our guests on this episode. I truly enjoyed myself this weekend. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on similar content in the future, then you should head to the listener app and you should follow this wonderful podcast. You can catch the weekday episodes of the briefing Monday to Friday, where they get you up to date on what's happening in the news. And then of course, these deeper conversations on the weekend. You can also catch us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you rate and uh, review while you're there, it'll help other people to find the briefing and the weekend briefing. We will be back in your headphones bright and early next week where the team with Tom Tilly will have all sorts of good stuff for you. Take care. Listener.